0: All right. Hi, everyone. If you can take your seats, we'll be getting started shortly here. Well, I'll just start us off in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much for today, for allowing us to gather. I pray for those that aren't able to make it today for uh, this service and the next, um, whether it be uh, because they're sick or away or whatever it is. I pray that you'll just be with them. Um, And I just also pray that uh, for our community at large, um, in terms of prepping and avoiding the coronavirus as well as those infected with it. I just pray that your hand of mercy will be upon us. Help us to um, continue to stay healthy. Uh, I pray that as we think through things uh, like psychology and biblical counseling, that you'll continue to cultivate a heart in us to want to help people, especially in a time like this where anxieties are running high and worries are... um, overcoming some people. I just pray that as we uh, speak to each other uh, biblically that we'll be able to bring hope in um, a time of confusion. pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, today, um, if you can pull up the slide for me. Ah, There we go. Today we'll be talking about psychology, and really what I want us to do is for it to be as interactive as possible. If you guys have questions, I'm not going to have answers to all of it, but we'll talk through it, we'll think through it. Um, and really, the, the main reasons that I want to talk through this is clarify misconceptions identify any straw man arguments, um, be able to really talk through what psychology is, affirm the common grace positives of psychology, and understand the special revelation that only scripture can provide for us. Um, A little background on where I'm coming from. So I spent my bachelor degree, so my undergraduate studying psychology. It was psychology and social behavior. Um, My minor... For most of that was in criminology. I didn't end up with a minor in criminology because I wanted to graduate early. Um, but uh, with that, I did spend four years studying about psychology and thinking through these things. My um, main emphasis during my MDiv program so far at Southern had been in biblical counseling, so I've spent a bit of time thinking through um, kind of the relationship between the two. And so questions that I want us to consider. What, what is psychology? What to you guys um, is psychology? If we can just get some thoughts on that. When somebody says psychology, what comes to your mind? When someone like Jim Neuheiser says, you know, psychology is a secular religion or something like that. What, what to you is psychology? Karen?
1: Um, I would say in my unprofessional opinion that it's the study of the human mind and human behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyone else? So I put some, some things on there, right? Is it a counseling method? Is it the study of people, human behavior? Is it a popular secular thought? Is it a secular religion? Is, it a one, is there a one-on-one correlation between psychology and biblical counseling? Um, so those are some of the questions I want us to think through. So is biblical counseling equivalent to psychology? One Christian, one secular? And I think the answer is yes and no. I think that psychology and biblical counseling are not one-to-one correlates the way Islam is to Christianity, the way Buddhism is to Christianity, in the sense that they're exactly the same uh, to one another, except one is Christian, one is not. Um, And why do I say that? Because I think that there are different meanings attached to the word psychology And that the word biblical counseling itself has a wide range of possibility in meaning as well. Because psychology is actually a very ambiguous concept. And so, um, kind of an overarching thing, I'm going to go into six definitions. But these three kind of aspects of psychology are three aspects that I want us to keep in mind as we're looking at it. And the first is research psychology. And so research psychology is where... um, where a, uh, a psychologist or a group of psychologists will design a, an experiment, right? And they have a sample group of people, they come up with an experiment, and then they test to see reaction, they test to see their thought process, whatever it is, they're trying to measure something and come back with data on that experiment, um, and so when that happens, they'll write up a research report where they'll talk about you know the, what their method was, what the results were, what the standard deviation is, and they'll kind of talk through what the limitations of their research is. Essentially, it's data collection. The next is psychological theories. Now, theories are going to be based off of the data collected. So now we're talking about interpretation of data, right? Um, and so uh somebody takes a look at and even in the data research um that they publish, they'll kind of interpret that data at the end. What does it mean to them? What do they get out of that data? And other people, other psychologists will read that same research and come up with their own theories of what that data says about whatever, whatever that experiment was trying to uh to identify. The last is clinical psychology, and clinical psychology is the creation and application of those theories for counseling, where clinicians, psychologists, are trying to take what they have collected, data, the theories they've built off of it, and then apply it to help people. Um, This is what most people think of as shrinks, your psychologist that you go to, your counselor, things like that. And so um, as we look at it, we see that each of those build off each other. Data collection, theories built off of that data, application built off of that theory, right? Um, And so as we look through the definitions, we'll also kind of see how that rolls out um, through the definitions. And so, for example, definition one. uh, And just real quick, if we look back at this research psychology, it's kind of like somebody taking scripture and pulling out, just looking at all the verses that that's the data right scripture is our data when we counsel people when we preach when we teach things like that theory psychological theory you can think of slightly equivalent to systematic theology where we start taking the data and we interpret the data and we come up with a systematized way of looking at the data that's when our uh, biases begin to come into play and then clinical psychology is similar to applied uh, theology, where we start applying and speaking truth into people and start uh living our daily lives it's similar to that, so that's one way of thinking about it psych one so first definition of psychology is uh, anyone have any questions about that first any thoughts on that on this okay. Well, just interrupt me whenever you guys have questions. <laughs> um, so Psych 1, uh, and I, I owe a lot of this to David Pallison. He, uh, he actually fleshed this out in one of his uh, articles that I thought was really helpful. So, Psych 1 definition is my psychology. This is a very um, anecdotal kind of way of thinking. It's one's experiences, thoughts, motives, attitudes, memories, uh, volitions, beliefs, assumptions, perceptions, and so on. It's what makes up who we are. It's us interacting with our environment. It's, um, it's anecdotal, right? And so uh, David Powelson, for example, says, So what is the bottom line regarding Christianity in Psych 1. Christian faith is about Psych 1. That's why Jesus, Luke, Paul, David, and the writer of Job are so often recognized as master psychologists. They know people. That's why the, it's why the Bible speaks with such vigorous immediacy to modern readers. Um, it's, it's our experience. It's how we react to the world around us. And you read the book of Psalms, and you see how it describes our reaction to the world, the pain that we have, the joy that we have, and our, our rejoicing in God, things like that. Um, any questions on that first definition? Okay. So the second definition here uh, is psych two, and that's really research psychology, right? It's referring to organized knowledge close observations, and systematic descriptions of human functioning. Uh, this is a, opposed to what we were just talking about, which was just merely anecdotal. Right? This is where people begin to collect data and describe how people work. Simply, um, let's say you want to test how people respond to, um, respond to a stranger that comes up and asks for money. Well, you set up an experiment, you have, pe- you have people, a group of sample of people, and then you have somebody dress up as a homeless person, come up and ask for money. And then you start documenting people's reactions. And then they publish and say, hey, this is people's reaction when a homeless person comes up to them. You know, whatever it is. There's a, there's a research, for example, where um, a bunch of seminarians, people in seminary, are in one side of the building, and the lecturer teaches them about uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then they say, "Hey, you have to get to your next class in five minutes." It takes about ten minutes to get to their next class, which is across the uh, the campus. And so all these seminarians are rushing over to get to the other side of the campus. And they, in their experiment, had this person pretend to be hurt, sitting on the ground, and asking for help. And most of the seminarians bypass them, right? And so the, the the whole idea there is, how do people react to stress? Right? Do do they even, you know? So so that is what Psych Two is all about: testing. Testing people's reaction, gathering that sort of data. Um, it's what most people would say is the most neutral of the psychological definitions that we have. It's the most scientific. Um, uh, researchers acquire broad principles arising from the investigation of populations or of physiological things like testing brain chemistry. They can analyze the brain and see how people react to jokes and see what light up in their brains, you know, which area, things like that. Dan, you have a question?
3: I actually want to go back to psych one, but when you're ready, I can ask a question. Sure. All right. And so uh, with that, what is the
0: relation to psychology? I'd say the relation there is that we can gain things from the, the gathering of information of people, from data about people. We do that all the time when we when we counsel or we spend time with people. We're gaining information about people so that we know how to react to people better, so that we can help people better. Um, you know, Paul says, I'm all things to all people. You have to know what people are to be able to be all things to all people. And so I, I think it's helpful, but we do need to be careful about faulty assumptions that are built into these research. We have to really understand, hey, it, are these people coming from an objective standpoint, or are there biases seeping into how they're conducting their experiments and things like that? Um, even within the secular world, psychologists will test each other's methods all the time and say, hey, there's a lot of bias in the way that you're conducting this experiment. And so we have to do the same and not just take the data for granted.
3: Um, Dan, you wanted to go back to this? Sorry about that. Um, just what I'm thinking about, some of the ways you're describing this, it's like the words experiential and anecdotal starts to sound to me like you're saying that it's just subjective and relativistic, but I don't think that's what you're saying. Help me understand.
0: Yeah. So it's a bit of an, the the first definition is a little bit more, a little bit more, more like that, a little bit more subjective, which is why definition two is considered more scientific.
3: I guess the struggle I'm having there is I can see how, if it's merely anecdotal, And based on feelings and experiences, et cetera, I can see that, how that would be very subjective and very relativistic. But where it doesn't fit is when we bring in the idea that this is the type of psychology that we're referring to when we think about the authors of Scripture. Because that's not at all subjective and relativistic.
0: Right, right. Because Scripture is God's Word. So now God is describing to us the human experience. And I think that's where, because it's God's Word, it's true. Um, and so the relationship there is uh, we we need to look at and interpret the experiences that we have of people through the lens of Scripture.
1: Karen? Well, yes, because it's God word, it's true. But um, what people experience aren't necessarily false. <clears throat> Do you see what I'm saying?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, what people go through can be true as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that?
0: Both definitions?
1: So you're saying the Psych Two definition it's um, the most neutral um, and has the least bias, but I, I feel like um, when people study the Bible, they tend to have biases too, and they lean toward one thing or another as well, don't you?
0: Yeah. So um, this this specific definition is simply talking about the collection of data, um, not the interpretation of that data, and so as we move forward in the definitions you see interpretations start to come in um and so it, it there is definitely it, in, in the sense of like somebody going through and picking out only verses about a specific thing researchers can only choose to identify a certain thing in their experiment right um but at the same time it, it tends to be more neutral than say somebody just just interpreting scripture without taking the verses into consideration things like that Okay, so the next definition is Psych 3, and this is uh, what I call theoretical psychology. Um, And so after all the data is collected, what does somebody make of that data, the interpretation of that data? Um, It explains the data it comes up with models um, to talk about that data so uh, I would say for example in my undergraduate studies these two psych two and psych three are the main things that we focused on we focused on research that's happened and then the models that's been created based off of that research um, now um, the, those things are I mean there's there's plenty right and so when for example Jim Newheiser says there are you know 250 psychologies out there. That's what he's talking about. All these different models, Jungian, Rogerian, you know, uh, all these uh, Freudian, all these different models that have come out of research or even come out of people's own thoughts without doing any research. Um, Those are the psychologies that he's talking about. And that's when error starts coming into play is because if you're approaching data from a secular worldview, then the interpretation of that data is going to come from a secular worldview. It's going to be either anti-God or... Act as if God doesn't exist. Um, it's going to approach it without understanding human sin. It's going to approach it without understanding how uh, God created the world good and yet it's fallen. All those things come into play as people use certain lenses and analyze the data that's in front of them. And so this is where I'd say we start to see the the major uh, degradation of the integrity of psychology as a science because it's now being interpreted through different lenses. And that's why we see so many different theories come out of psychology It's because people have different lenses. We have Freud who says that everybody is driven by sexual desire. And then you have, you know, somebody else saying, no, everybody's actually really just good and the world makes them bad. And then you have, you know, all these different contradictory theories come uh, because they have contradictory worldviews. Jan,
2: I think I'm following you. Um, But couldn't, So you're saying Psych 3, this is where someone comes in and and we begin to apply our worldviews. So why can't somebody be in the psychology department who's a Christian applying a biblical worldview?
0: Because, um, and and I'd say you can, you you as a Christian can do research. So a lot of my professors, for example, read uh, psychological research in the biblical counseling field and they'll glean things from it, from the data. Where the problem is, if you're in a psychological department, is you have to teach the other theories. You have to teach Freudery, and you have to teach all these different things. And most uh, psychology departments say you need to be eclectic in the sense that you need to throw all those things in a hat, in a, in a yeah, in a hat, and just start picking them out and using them, or putting them on your tool belt and applying, you know, uh, all these different theories so that you can. Fully counsel somebody. Um, and so you begin to have, uh, conflicting worldviews that you have to put on your tool belt along with scripture. And the other aspect is, um, is that they think that this is it. This, this here, the, the collection of data and coming up with theories is what's going to help somebody, what's going to truly change somebody, bring them closer to being good being okay the the end goal and i'll talk about it at the end the end goal of biblical counseling and the end goal of psychology as a counseling method are two different things that we're aiming at two different um end goals and we'll we'll talk more about that anything else Karen?
1: so i understand you're saying all these different theories um Are they all essentially bad, though? I mean, are there some good things that a Christian person can take out of there and apply toward it? I've always been under the impression that if used in the right hands, some of these things can be really effective.
0: Yeah. So, um, and and I was going to plan on talking about it a little bit more later. But let's say we have, for example, my family. Um, They're Buddhists. And Buddhism brings a certain sense of peace to what's going on, right? So my dad just passed away on Friday. And my mom is going to the Buddhist temple. She has Buddhist monks chanting over his body, thinking that his spirit will now be guided into reincarnation. And it brings a sense of peace to her, but it's a false sense of peace. Um, and so and, and some, some religions, Islam, for example, will... They don't allow them to divorce. Let's say, um, and if the the woman decides to run away, well, there's there's gonna be consequences, and so marriages stay together. Um, but is that good? Should we apply Islam to Christianity? I mean, there are things that you can pull from the Quran that may be good, but it's still the Quran. Um, and so, what is the what is the undergirding worldview? Is it is it Christian? Is it from scripture? Or is it something that is off base from scripture and yet can bring a certain amount of peace? And I think that's where we have to be careful of of thinking that psychology is neutral. Because that's what's seeped into our worldview is, well, psychology is neutral and so we can use it. But if these theories are built off of anti-Christian, anti-God worldviews, then it's not neutral. And it's just like pulling in Buddhism to help
3: supplement our our scriptures. So are you saying that in Psych 3, which is the interpretation phase, right, that there are no good interpretations that come out of the secular world? Right, because
0: I think that if it's a secular world, worldview, that they're going to pull out incorrect understanding from... The data And if they are able to pull out any correct understanding, well, we have Scripture that describes who we are, why we're here, why we've fallen, why things happen to us, that I don't think most theories are going to take into account what Scripture is saying. As as biblical counselors, I have professors who, like I said, will analyze uh, the, the data and see how it fits with scripture and, and, and help supplement. So for example, um, one of the research that was going on by a graduate student at Southern is post-traumatic stress. They're literally going around studying, creating experiments, speaking with interviewing people with post-traumatic stress. Post-traumatic stress isn't really something that scripture completely talks about. Um, and so the data he's collecting and then analyzing, he's going to analyze it through a biblical worldview to see how he can then apply scripture to help people with, post-traumatic
4: stress um you see what i'm saying there um going back to tying in with psych two um and the uh it's the definition is based on um, pulling in information getting data um so on and so forth and that's similar to what science does um easily i feel like we can take science and put it on a pedestal and be like oh well it's fact Everything's fact. When science... (coughs) Science is just a method. It's pretty much the exact method talked about in in 2. And so it it gives us data, and then we can try to figure out what that data means. But we always need to take it with a grain of salt, Um, (coughs) which is obviously what you're saying. I'm just kind of reiterating. Um, And it's the same with even Scripture. Like um, Karen was saying, you can easily have a bad interpretation of Scripture um, when bringing in your own worldview and... um, it's the same thing. Um, and same with, with Psych 2 and getting data. there's, And I'm someone who would advocate for, like, it's good to study certain things about the mind and stuff like that to figure out, like, PTSD and um, how they work and um, certain ways to combat it and stuff like that. Um, but obviously, we still need to bring in that um, Christian mindset of the spiritual side because it's not answers to fix necessarily the problem completely, just to understand how it works and what causes it.
5: Mm-hmm. Great.
0: So, relation to psych, I think we've talked about this. This is where psychologists build their doctrinal core of their field. For example, my brother is, um, he graduated his master's, he's going for a PhD, and his uh, emphasis is Jungian psychology, deep psychology. And he uses that as his doctrinal core, his understanding of people, to then apply methods to help them. Um, but that doctrinal core that he has, that that understanding that he has is completely off base from what scripture says. And so we're operating from two completely different sets of worldviews as we try to help people and cure souls. And that's going to be very, very different as um, I mean, very obvious when you start hearing him talk. And so, um, yeah. Next is Psych 4. And this is what I called earlier clinical psychology or applied psychology. And it refers to various therapeutic psychotherapeutic methods and models that people use to address problems in living um so like i said earlier right my brother did his master's in deep psychology union psychology and then in his clinical program that he's doing now he's simply taking his his ground level understanding and then using that transferring that to skills to help people become more like that which is to me completely off base um and so Counseling and care are the main goals in psych four. And so this is where most of us think of you go to a Psychologist you don't go to a psychologist for him to gather information simply about you You don't go to a psychologist for him to build theories about you You go to a psychologist because you think the psychologist is going to help you with the problems that you have And so that's what psych for definition is trying to explain uh, Psychologists seek to create methodology and then apply what they've learned and theories that they have been that has been formed And so um, one of the main Theories or models for counseling is the cognitive behavioral therapy model, right? That that's really one of the biggest models out there. And it's uh, it tries to attempts to change the way you think and the way you behave. And um, and so that cognitive behavioral th- model is built off of all the other theories and data collection that has happened coming before it. Um, and so here again, because someone's underlying understanding is incorrect based on their psych three. The theory of humanity is wrong. The theory of sin is wrong. The theory of who God is is wrong, or even if God is, is wrong. The way that they're going to apply to help you is going to be wrong. And this is where so many issues arise in counseling, where they're telling people to do things that are completely wrong, sinful even, simply because they think that's going to help that person because they have a completely wrong understanding of what helping that person looks like. What is the goal of helping these individuals? And we'll talk more about with biblical counseling about the goal, the end goal of counseling. Why do we counsel in a biblical manner? And what is the end goal of biblical counseling? Um, We'll talk about that at the end, like I said. Um, But there are some things that are helpful. I mean, these are people who spend their entire lives trying to change people. Right? Trying to get people from one place to another place. And so there, there, there are methods that could possibly be helpful. Like, for example, we use homework. right? We give people homework to do in biblical counseling. Homework isn't something you take out of scripture. Homework is a helpful method to get people to reiterate certain things in their minds. And so that is a method. It's not unbiblical, but it's extra biblical. It's not something that you pull out of scripture but yet at the same time is a good thing to do. And so um, we just got to be careful when looking at methods to say, okay, what what is the end goal of that method?
4: What are we trying to do? And keeping the end goal of biblical counseling in mind. Daniel? Um, you, you may already answer this question later, but what is the difference between a psychologist and a, a psychiatrist?
0: Okay, yeah, so uh, great question. A psychologist is somebody who has either a, PsyD, which a doctorate in psychology, or a PhD in psychology. Um, their main training for those for their doctorate and their masters is in psychology, um, and their goal is psychotherapy, which is talking, talking cure. Um, and they may prescribe some medication, but their main objective is to sit down with somebody and have a long conversation, and try to get them to change through talking. Um, a psychiatrist is somebody who goes through medical school has an MD, a medical doctor, um, and then they specialize in psychology. And so their main, generally their main thing is applying um, some of their psych knowledge and then prescribing drugs. Um, And so a lot of the drug prescriptions will come from psychiatrists um, because they're medical doctors, and then the psychologist would do a lot more of the counseling talking side of it. All right. So relation to Christianity, Um, like I said earlier, due to theories of humanity, sin, and care being wrong, and because of anti-Christian commitments, many of the therapies are incorrect. Methodologically, there may be useful techniques that we can adopt to facilitate change, Um, and then at the same time, we should rejoice in when psychologists are able to help people avoid suicide you know, sweetening people's marriages, all those good things that come out of it. But those are common graces that can come out of other religions as well. And so we need to be able to say, yeah, those are good things. But that doesn't mean that it's okay for people to simply look to psychology to help their marriage, to do those things, because God has a bigger plan for who we are, to change who we are, than simply to avoid suicide. Um, And so... We're going to go on to Psych 5. So Psych 5 is what we call the mental health system. We'll hear a lot of people talk about the mental health system. It's the institutionalization of psychology. It's the... Uh, Southern Baptist Convention of Psychology. We have the APA, the American Psychological Association. These are boards that form accreditations for schools. They form best practices, ethics. These are things that uh, you can get malpractice lawsuits for, for example. Whereas if you operate within their boundaries, you, you're covered under malpractice insurance, things like that. Um, so if someone says psychology, it's talking about mental health system. Um, and it's what we think of as a church or a denomination, and so, relation to psychology, I'd say uh, Psych Five is built off of everything that comes before it. Their ethics isn't biblical ethics; their ethics that they have built off of, based on their psychologies, based on the things that they've, uh, based on their worldview as well. Um, And then definition six is pop psychology. And so a lot of this is what pervades our current culture, right? When people say, you know, you be you or all these other popular sayings out there, those are pop psychology that pervades our culture. It's not, it may or may not be based on empirical data. It may or may not be based on psychological research theories and psych theory. Um, It's much like Christian wisdom. A lot of People like, oh, yeah, you know, they'll say something and they think it's in Scripture. But really, it's because their mom's mom's mom used to say it to them. And now they think it's in Scripture when that verse that they're thinking is not in Scripture at all and they can't find it. Um, And so it's it's much like that. It's nominal Christianity rather than Christianity based off Scripture. It's nominal popular psychology, not based on any real psychology out there. Um, And so it gets even worse. Right now, you're building off of this this thing that people can't even pull back to any original data source. Um, and not just interpretation, not just a method built off of interpretation. Now it's just nothing. And so because our world is anti-Christian, our popular psychology is anti-Christian. It's man-centered and it's not correct according to biblical truth. And so I have here for us a quick snapshot of the six psychologies that we just talked about. So I'll just go through them again. If you guys have any questions, clarifications, uh, let me know. So Psych 1, my psychology, is experiential, anecdotal, and scripture describes for us what our psychology is like through a lot of the um, psalms and proverbs and things like that. Psych 2 is research psychology. It's scientific research and data collection uh, on people and their response. And again, we must be careful of the biases that people bring into their actual research and, and look at that. Um, psych 3 is the theoretical psychology, explanatory models, and interpretation of data. Psych 4, clinical psychology, where people are building off of their theories to then apply methodologically how to help people. Psych 5 is the mental health system as an institution uh, that forms practices, ethics, boards, etc. And then Psych 6 is the popular psychology, cultural ethos, values, beliefs that are built off of all these other things before it.
4: Any thoughts, questions, Daniel? Could you go back to Psych 6 real quick? mm mm-hmm. um, Could you read the bottom paragraph?
0: Much like Chris, that one? Much like Christian wisdom that are nominally Christian in nature and not often based on
4: scripture. Could you divulge more on that?
0: Yeah. So um, like I was saying earlier, so, some people have sayings and, and I've heard people have sayings that they think is from scripture, but it may not actually be from scripture. Sometimes it's, it, it captures the heart of scripture. Other times it's just popular sayings that people have that they think is Christian, but may not be. Um, and I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but does that explain it at all?
3: I grew up hearing this one. Maybe some of you did too. Ready? He's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things like that. that. That's a perfect example of, of it being Christian wisdom. Did I see another hand come up? I thought I did.
1: Karen? So, in this same Psych 6 definition, um, on the pop psychology, wouldn't you say that um, this whole um, deciding your own gender would be under this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what's interesting is, um, so psychology back in, I don't know, the 80s, said that homosexuality was a disease and needed to be cured. Now we have way on the other side where it says, no, you can choose your own gender, you can choose... And that's completely different than where psychology was even a few years before. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that's popular psychology, but it's actually gone into... there's There's a reciprocal relationship because as... Because, because worldview changes. And so as worldview changes, as the popular psychology, as the cultural ethos changes, it affects how the psychologists, even at a clinical level, will change the way that they treat people because now their worldview is different from before where um, a predominantly Christian worldview held was was influencing psychologists and they said no homosexuality was wrong now because they believe that transgenderism is okay and homosexuality is okay now they're saying no you know this isn't even a clinical issue we want to help people transition into their new sexual orientation sexual uh you know gender rather than saying no we need to keep them from that we need to help them be okay with who they are biologically um and that that's where That's where, again, interpretation comes in, theories come into play that changes
3: how people interact with the data that they have. Dan? What's the correlation between Psych 1 and Psych 6?
0: One is more personal, um, your experiences. The other, I think, is more group-based, how our culture is. I guess the difference in personal or social psychology and sociology. One is analyzing a group of people and how
3: they think versus individually how you react to the world. But we, would we expect typically to see there um, a correlation because you've got individuals who kind of think
6: like the culture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mark one of the things that came to my mind. I know we had a conversation about this a little while ago about the idea of gender dysphoria, right? You know, we take this idea of of somebody who is not comfortable in the gender that they currently are, you know. And so, you know, I I had taken that to mean, okay, so this is actually a helpful identification that recognizes a problem. This is you have gender dysphoria, that's a problem, and secular psychology wants to fix that. Well, the fix that secular psychology in, in the current worldview reaches the conclusion of is we want them to be comfortable. We want them to find something that they're comfortable with. That's that's where it goes. It doesn't go to we need to help them to embrace what their biological intention is. It's all subjective in a sense that if they're not comfortable with this, that's where this is going. This is going to make them be peaceful with whatever, whatever conclusion they reach. Absolutely. So that's,
0: that's perfect, right? And so you take gender dysphoria, which is the feeling of suffering because they feel like they're of a different gender than they were born with. Um, and so you take that and you take data. Right. Somebody can do research on people with genital dysphoria and start saying, hey, they feel psychological pain. They have, um, you know, they, they have a hard time sleeping because they're struggling. You know, all these things that they can describe somebody with it. You take that data and now you take a Christian who looks at that and says, Okay, what do I do with that data? Well, scripture says that. God created each of us as we are, that, you know, there's man and woman, all these things, right? And that's an interpretation of that same set of data as a psychologist who now, because of the current social climate, looks at it and says, yeah, I mean, this, this person's suffering. I need to get them to change into what they want to be. And then, now you, that's theoretically, and then now you go into the applied level, the application of psychology in this sense is going to be cognitive behavioral therapy that tries to get them to change and transition properly and with minimal psychological problems into from man to, to a woman, as opposed to Biblical counseling, which says, okay, well, you were created this way. God wanted you to be created this way. Let's, let's see how you can glorify God in your current situation, despite the suffering that you're feeling. We'll walk with you. You know, th- those are two very different trajectories that we start going into because of all these different psych definitions that happen. So, Jan?
2: This is all really helpful, Jackson. So going back to Psych 4, which you just were talking about, the cognitive behavioral model, um, which we hear so much about, And I like how you described it. You said it's basically the thinking, if I understand it right, how we think translates into how we act, our behavior that we choose, which makes me think of the scripture, um, is it Romans, Um, the one where basically... um, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, So we've grown up with that. We know that how we think about a particular situation is going to directly correlate how we respond or behave in that. And so I guess that's for me where I see the biggest division between psychology and biblical counseling is the psychologist is going to tell me how I need to think about the situation and they're not coming from a biblical worldview um they're coming from all that you've you know described whereas scripture is going to and anyway is going to tell me how to think and how often just even you know those of us who've been raised in the church still have a hard time thinking biblically because that natural man still wants to rise up and think naturally I don't know. I don't know if that explains it, but I'm just trying to think it through and apply it.
0: Yeah. And it's um, and even <laughs> even even as our, our culture continues to change or even as psych 6 continue to change um, as an individualistic culture, we're saying, hey, I don't even want a psychologist to tell me what to think. And so I just want somebody to talk to. So there's um, non guided therapy now where psychologists isn't allowed to give input into my problems, I'm just going to sit there and talk, and you just need to listen to me. And once I'm done talking, we're good. Um, self, self-directed therapy, things like that, um, because people are individualistic, and they're saying, you can't tell me how I should act and how I should think. I tell myself how I should act and think. And now, anyway, so it, it's interesting, all the correlations that happen and, and how it can
3: go one way and then the other as well. So you've helped us see how that um, two different people can be looking at the same set of data, But depending on their worldview, they will interpret it differently and then they'll apply it differently. And you've given us an example of um, issues with gender dysphoria and homosexuality. But can you also look at something that's maybe more common to us as a a body here at COAST dealing with things like um, children who are out of of control or have behavioral issues or depression or um, battling thoughts of suicide? What would be the difference in how... The secular psychologist would look at it with his worldview, and then counsel compared to the biblical counselor. I think it comes back to very similar, um, a similar thing
0: where Scripture gives us um, a goal, and and that that's really where I was going to take my next thing. We can we can finish that, and then I might circle back to. To that but biblical counseling has also a wide is also a wide concept, but it can be viewed as the personal ministry of the word, and that's in contrast to the public ministry of the word that Earl does every week, where he preaches. Um, and the difference there is one is it's a little bit more broad. He's speaking to the congregation. He's applying scripture to the specific problems that the whole congregation is facing, um, as opposed to the specific personal application that he'll have when he counsels somebody. The Personal ministry. He's taking scripture and he's applying it to a very specific problem, to a very specific person. Um, And so this is, uh, the biblical counseling has a wide spectrum as well, right? And so from fellowship, when we're talking to each other, and I know we've talked about this, um, where somebody says, man, I'm really struggling with something. And then you say, well, you give them counsel. It can be biblical counsel, or it can just be Christian wisdom counsel, or it can be secular counsel. All those things come into play, and biblical counseling is simply saying, hey, we need to know our Bibles well, and when we counsel, when we give somebody advice, it's going to be scriptural. It's going to be biblical in the way that we give each other counsel. Um, To discipleship, when we sit down, we have intentional discipleship with each other, and we're sharing with each other, and we're keeping each other accountable. We're training each other up in godliness. Those things are either going to be secular, psychology, or it's going to be biblical, and so again, all the way through to intensive pastoral care, where somebody is going through major depression, somebody's going through anxiety, somebody's going through post-traumatic stress, and having an intensive built-out sessions built-out sessions with the pastors or counselors um, to be able to address those problems in an intensive manner. Um, it, those things are all part of biblical counseling, and so somebody did a drew a river. And they said, you know, in your Christian walk, you're flowing through this river. And sometimes you'll hit a rock and you'll kind of fall off. And then, you know, there's this little uh, area where people will help you kind of get back onto the stream. Sometimes you're jumping off the thing altogether and, you know, you need some intensive time to get you back into that, that stream. Um, that's all part of biblical counseling. It's a simple discipleship in your day-to-day walk with God. Um, and so... Psychology, in its objective and descriptive senses, are common grace that God gives us to help us better understand his creation, but it is not sufficient to change people in their relationship to God. Psych 4 may have common grace effects of reducing pain, increasing happiness, etc., but it is not different than Buddhism providing somebody a sense of peace. We can rejoice in the common grace, however— Ultimately, though, biblical counseling is about helping someone become more like Jesus. That's the biggest part of biblical counseling, of discipleship, is that Jesus wants us to be more like him. And when we help somebody in biblical counseling, the idea is, how do I speak truth in this person? How do I image Jesus to this person so that they can also image Jesus? Not the mere alleviating of pain and suffering. Pain and suffering may be alleviated because God's grace is there, and he's going to help that person through their difficulty, but we're just addressing mere symptoms if we're just trying to alleviate pain. Now, we want to alleviate pain. We want to do that, just like we want to help people who are homeless, just like we want to help people who are starving, But those things in and of itself isn't what biblical counseling is about. It's about helping people be better disciples of Jesus. And if that means that they still continue to suffer, but they're able to suffer and glorify God in their suffering, then that's a good thing. Just like, for example, we're talking about transgendered people. So someone who is transgender, someone who has gender dysphoria, may never stop feeling the pain of their gender dysphoria. But... If they can glorify God and accept who they are and walk biblically following Jesus' commands, that's a good thing. Whereas psychology will try to alleviate that pain by helping them sin. That, that's the difference. Um, and so uh, talking about you know, your children, Scripture teaches us how to train our children. Uh, what the aim of it is, the aim of training our children is so that they can see God's love and be able to be transformed and be be Christians, and God can save them. God can. We're showing them the Father. We're imaging Jesus to our children. Um, whereas secular parenting will be, oh, I want you to be a good citizen, and good there can be anything, right? Good there is based off of the current psychics, the current popular climate. Um, you know, before it was, you know, being a good person, man being similar to what scripture says. Now being a good person means you're accepting of everybody. Um, and so that that's where uh, I think that addresses it. I don't know if it completely addresses it. Depression, same thing. It, our, our our point in biblical counseling, again, with somebody who's depressed is, yeah, provide them hope in Jesus. Provide them all those things um, and pray with them, be with them, be able to give them biblical counsel on how they should react to their situation, how they should think, renewing their minds based on what scripture says of their situation. So Karen,
1: um, I also think though that, um, alleviating suffering and pain can put a person in a spot where they can look to the Lord, um, easier. Um, and so sometimes I think, I I mean, sometimes I think that's very important because then their eyes can be opened and the Lord can work through, that um, and I understand that um, you know that's not the ultimate God is not wanting us always to be pain free or suffer free but um, that I think that that definitely can be um, something that can be helpful Um, and then also when you say secular psychology can never make someone more like Jesus what are you meaning by secular psychology are you meaning like the basic building blocks of um, how to talk to a person um, and help them understand what they're feeling and help them to renew their mind to think better um, um, things that so what are you meaning by that because I think that's a really big statement that it can never make someone more like Jesus because I just think like the rain it's kind of I think it can be a neutral thing that can be used for other things.
0: Yeah. So, so two things. One with the pain and suffering, I think definitely alleviation of pain and suffering is important. But at the same time, God uses pain to tell us something. right? We have pain. We feel pain so that we know we're in trouble. Um, if people just numbed everybody, people will start dying. Um, and it's the same thing. I think with psychology in some sense is it's, it's an anesthetic. If you don't feel pain, then you don't need to think about why you're feeling pain and you don't need to think about why we're here and why you don't have hope. Um, and so pain can sometimes be a common grace that God gives us emotional pain, uh, for us to look to him. Um, now, uh, in, in my statement there, what I meant specifically was that second, psych- secular psychology is not the answer to our problems that special revelation is needed to be able to be more like jesus um and that psychology what people look to to help them isn't going to help them the way that they think it's going to help them in the sense that it's going to be an anesthetic rather than the cure um in what sense because it's like saying, you know, there's a certain peace that Buddhism can bring us, and we should use Buddhism as a tool. I just don't think that that's, that's the right way to do it.
1: Let's use dance as a, um, an example. So you can go and learn how to um, do ballet um, from a secular studio. And you will know how to do ballet. And the ballet is can be just as good as the stuff that you learn in a Christian studio. Right? So I, I guess I'm thinking of like the psychology and some of the tenets of the psychology can be just as neutral as that. You can it can be used either for um you know, twisted to be used to glorify God, or it can just be a neutral Um, thing
0: so yeah so if you're talking about things like um, like you know for example we talked a little earlier about giving out homework to help people be able to apply their what they've learned in biblical counseling um, then yeah sure I I think those things could be useful tools um, but we need to analyze are they actually neutral tools like doing homework or is it more like something that's being built off of a specific theory of people and
3: how people work. That's not biblical. Yeah, I think a minute ago, Karen, did you use the word rain? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great example. So rain, according to the Bible, is a common grace. God causes it to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we all benefit equally from rain. But rain cannot make you more like Jesus. It can point you to God And then make you accountable to him. But only the preaching of the gospel received by faith can make you more like Jesus.
2: And I think you're taking a good, um, not a middle ground necessarily, but when you said homework can be helpful, we just have to learn to be discerning on what is neutral and what isn't neutral so for instance if I have a good friend who's um, in the church and really struggling with some very difficult relationships in her life and she goes to a psychologist and that psychologist says you need to completely cut out these toxic people from your life you need to set boundaries and these this toxicity is not good for you you know alleviate it If that's the counsel she's getting and the following, that's not going to help her to grow more like Jesus in the sense that Jesus says, I've got things I can help you to to love your enemies and to self-protect to a degree, but you have to trust me. So I see that would be something that isn't just homework. That would not be a neutral.
5: Right.
0: Absolutely.
2: Any other thoughts?
6: Mark? I think we also don't want to restrict our understanding of what a biblical psycholo- or biblical counselor is going to do when they talk to you, right? The best case scenario is not, what the goal in this whole process is not to have someone stare at you with a blank expression saying, turn to Ephesians chapter 5 verse, you know, whatever for your marriage and we'll read this and we're going to go home. You know, um, those tools that you talk about, giving homework, that's fantastic. And we want, to be, we want to go to counselors who may encourage us to delve into this afterwards. I know you guys have great experience with that. I think that we don't want to limit the idea that a biblical counselor is pursuing the fruit of the Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of counselor we want to receive things from. That's going to be someone who is who's not going to just objectively hit us over the head, but someone who is going to try to be discerning, try to be loving, gentle, um, kind and gracious in all that they're saying. So I think that, that you know we want to break them into their constituent parts. Is there something in secular psychology, is there a component that's off-limits to us that is of objective value? I, I don't know that that's the case. I think that whatever is truly of value, the biblical counselor can use as well if there is true value there. You know.
0: I agree. It, it really comes down to two things. One is who's the person counseling you? The person counseling you needs to be transformed by the spirit and they're, they're, they're walking with Jesus and they're walking alongside you to be more like Jesus. Um, and then the second is what are they trying to accomplish by, by giving you the things that they're giving you, the counsel, the, the extra homeworks, all those different things. What are they accomplishing and trying to accomplish? One is that it's, it's, they're not going to lead you into sin through what you're doing, what they're telling you to do. And two is they're trying to help you be more like Jesus, trying to help you follow uh, his commands, um, be a better disciple. All those things come into play. And so absolutely, I think um, various tools that we can use to help people be more like Jesus, absolutely pull those in and use it. But we just have to be very discerning.
5: Earl. A lot of uh, biblical counselors will talk about the fact in light of what Karen said earlier about how. Uh, sometimes people need to be helped in some certain ways so they can hear the scriptures. In some, and that's why Jim Newheiser will talk about not discouraging people from uh, taking their medications or telling them to get off their medications, that there may be um, things that can be done uh, through the use of medication that will help people to be able to process uh, scripture and, and apply it to their lives and that kind of thing. And so... There are those common grace things, Um, but what I hear you saying is that there's a book that I have in my office that's on helping poor people entitled When Helping Hurts, and basically the whole book is arguing that there are ways in which we can try to help poor people that actually hurt poor people in the long run. It may meet some immediate need, like give them a few dollars to go buy something at McDonald's, but it doesn't really meet the ultimate more serious needs they have it may you know and i guess the same thing with psychology it can address some symptoms but it's not really geared to try to help the person go beyond the symptoms and deal with the real issue which is their relationship with god yeah
0: yeah and uh going along the lines of that um i forget i forget who it was that that wrote the article but he was helping somebody who serious serious issues i mean growing up abuse all sorts of things um and one of the things that actually is a woman and and she said um don't just pull them out of everything they're in including maybe they're going to a secular psychologist don't just pull them out because that's going to make it more difficult for you to be able to counsel them because all of a sudden all the changes make them shut down a lot of times they'll they'll start giving them biblical truth praying with them and those people are going to say hey i'm going to stop taking my medication hey i'm going to stop going to my psychologist because they're not giving me truth anymore Um, and they start seeing those things and they'll start pulling out of it and so transitioning slowly may be helpful as well and all that comes down to wisdom but yeah all right i think we're we're up Time's up. Thank you, everyone. I'll just pray for us to close. Heavenly Father, thank you for this discussion, um, that it was fruitful. I pray that you continue to help us to think through it, continue to help us to be humble, uh, ready to learn, ready to be taught, and just pray that... um We continue to look towards you as our end goal, Lord, and and not the alleviation of any pain and suffering that we have, even as we know that you wish for us and hope for us to one day be out of pain, because one day we will be with you forever, Lord, and there will be no pain, no suffering, no death, no disease. I pray that we continue to look forward to that and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.